Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Again. And we will read uh, the whole chapter. Let's stand for the reading of our scripture text this evening. This is 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is the word of the Lord. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him. But put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Saul was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then? Is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I did. Obey the voice of the Lord, and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and have brought back Agag, the king of of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So again, we've just gone back over the passages, the the two chunks that we took in previous weeks. And we've seen Saul's sin. His sin was in not... Not obeying the command of the Lord, not obeying the command of the Lord to destroy, utterly destroy the Amalekites and everything they owned, everything associated with them. And and one part uh, that we focused on last time, one part of Saul's disobedience was his desire to offer sacrifices to God, even while clearly living in disobedience to him, right? He wanted to do an outward act of, of holiness before the Lord, even though inwardly uh, he was turning away from God, right? He wanted to do those outward rituals um, without the, um, the inward faith, uh, which uh, we talked about extensively last time. Now, this time I want to focus on Saul's repentance here, what kind of repentance it is, what, uh, what response we see finally from Saul in the passage. So um, it, it begins, I mean, right after these weighty words from the prophet, from Samuel, um, Saul immediately says, I have sinned. 
right? He's, he immediately goes to that, he, he, I've sinned, I've sinned. And, and so we begin to think, okay, this, is this, is he repenting now? Is he finally recognizing his sin? Is he looking back and he's saying, look, the command of the Lord was utterly destroyed. I've saved for myself. I've built monuments for myself. I've done these things. I've sinned. Well, um, repentance, as you know, depends upon what? It depends upon a change of heart. Right? Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance cannot be defined just by words from the mouth. Repentance cannot be defined just by changes in behavior. Right? Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change uh, toward, toward your sin. It's a change even toward God. And so repentance, I would say, is the... Um, I don't know, how would I put it? How would I define repentance? Repentance is the melting effect, like the, the softening effect of seeing our sin as God sees it. Right? And, res- and then responding with, with the faith and obedience that we lacked before. Right? So it's a, it's, it's a change, but it's seeing our sin in, as God sees our sin. Right? And, and that filling us with a certain horror, that filling us with a certain fear, it filling us with a certain uh, sadness and grief, remorse, and then it turning into anger at the sin, not at God, anger toward the sin, and then finally a, a change of heart, a, a, uh, a living in a different direction. Um, Thomas Watson said, and Thomas Watson is my go-to guy for repentance. His Doctrine of Repentance is, is a book you should read every year. Uh, Michael reads it every three months. No. I mean, he, he's always in it, and, and I always go back to it too, and it's very helpful. But Thomas Watson says, either sin must drown or the soul burn. Let it not be said that repentance is difficult. And I love what he says here, but... It hits me right in the gut. It hurts. Let it not be said that repentance is difficult. Things that are excellent deserve work. Will not a man dig for gold in the ore, though it makes him sweat? It is better to go with difficulty to heaven than with ease to hell. So, so in, in, I mean, in, in one sense, he's saying... Repentance is hard. It's difficult, right? It'll make you sweat. It is work. It's like digging for gold. In, I mean, it's like uh, mining, right? It's the hardest sort of labor, but don't say it's difficult because the alternative, it, the alternative of ease is the path to hell. And there's nothing harder than hell, right? There's nothing worse. There's, no, there's, there's nothing comparable to it and its difficulty. And so repentance, repentance compared to hell is a walk in the park on a sunny day, 75 degrees. Right? But it is hard, isn't it? It is hard work to repent. Now why, I think Saul's, I think Saul's repentance is counterfeit. Why do I think Saul's repentance is counterfeit? 
uh, he, there, there are four things that I've pulled from these verses in this passage. And the first thing is, again, he returns to doing what? Blaming others. Making excuses for his sin. That's a sure sign that you're, you're not repentant. Right? Is when you immediately say, well, my hand was forced because my kids are so astonishingly annoying. How can a man not be angry? Right? How could a man not be angry? Um, that's just, that's a hypothetical. Okay. Um, no repentance needed there, right? Um, yeah, he makes excuses. Verse 24. I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words. And we're like, okay, good start. Because I feared the people and listened to their voice. I feared the people and listened to their voice, right? Rather than own up to his own disobedience to God, as Samuel had shown him, he made an excuse. I sinned because I feared the people. I sinned because I feared the people, not God, who had given the command. The second point in his... His counterfeit repentance is the next thing he says in verse 25. And it's this, that he has no shame for his sin. He has no shame for his sin. He says, now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. That is an astonishingly nonchalant sort of statement when it comes to the magnitude of what he's done, right? The kingdom, the the, the prophet has just told him that, that the kingdom has been torn from you, right? You've rejected the word of the Lord. He's rejected you from being king. You know, well, pardon my sin so we can go worship. I mean, there's no shame. There's no, like, he's not stopped in his tracks in this. Rather, he wants to save face. He wants to do what? He wants to appear righteous. Though he should have wanted to be right with God no matter what. Right? He should have humiliated himself. He should have... He should have torn his, his robes. He should have humbled himself before the people, right? Verse 25, he says, return with me. Verse 30, he says the same thing. Please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Honor me? He's asking the prophet who said, God, you've disobeyed the word of the Lord. The kingdom has been taken from you. And, and now he's asking the prophet to honor him? Before the people, those people he feared and so had to disobey, right? He, honor me before the people and before Israel and go back with me. And so he wants Samuel to go back with him so that he can, he can do what? So that he can borrow from Samuel's dignity, so that he can borrow from Samuel's righteousness, so that he can go back and have, have, have you know, residual dignity from Samuel, rather than thinking of how the people would perceive him, honor me before the people. He's worried about how people are perceiving him. Rather than thinking of how people perceive him, he should be worried about God's gaze. How does God perceive him? Right? Doesn't that halt your repentance at times? Isn't that like a 
a difficulty you face. You're always trying to save face. You're always trying to look good in front of your spouse. Right? You're always trying to, to, um, to put forth an appearance of righteousness. And God all along knows what a hypocrite and fool you are. And those around you would be blessed to see you humble yourself. I mean, I'm preaching this to myself. Those around you would be blessed to see you say, you know what, I have failed. I've sinned. I, I have dishonored God. I have shown you a poor example of what it means to fear the Lord. He should have been worried about the gaze of God, but he's not. Um, he should have blushed. He should have gotten flushed. He should have felt shame. He should have been ashamed. Um, he should have shown humility before the people. And, and that would have been good, but instead he blames them. How shame, how, how like gnarly is that? Right? He's not owning his position. He's not, he's clearly not being a good king. Thomas Watson says, the repenting prodigal was so ashamed of his excess that he thought himself not worthy to be called a son anymore. Think of that. The prodigal son came, came back and said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Saul should have said, I have sinned, I'm not worthy to be king. But he says, no, come back and honor me. You know, come back and just, let's move on. We can work through this, right? We can, we can politically work through this. And God is taken out of that. And so, um, Thomas Watson again says, repentance causes a holy bashfulness. He also says this, many have sinned away Shame. The unjust know no shame, it says in Zephaniah. It's a great shame not to be ashamed. The Lord sets it as a, as a brand upon the Jews. Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Jeremiah 6.15 No shame at sin. They couldn't even blush. The devil has stolen shame from men, Watson says. Um, you think of the place of shame in gospel witness today, shame. No one is ashamed of anything. We live in a very decadent society. In decadent societies, the first thing they cast off is shame, right? Decadence... Um, leads to indulgence, riches leads to indulgence, and indulgence leads to the sins of the flesh. And the sins of the flesh are indulged in and become mainstream, and then there's just no shame for any, any sort of act, any sort of sin. Right? So we've thrown off shame, and we should reclaim shame because that's part of our gospel witness. That's part of the condemnation, that sweet condemnation that comes from the law of God, right? It leads us to shame. It leads unbelievers to shame and then to seek a covering. Third, so shame. There's no shame from Saul. Third, Saul, Saul treats very lightly the holiness of God. That's another thing that we see here. Saul treats lightly the holiness of God. Twice he says, that I may worship the Lord. 
Right? Go with me that I may worship the Lord. That I may worship the Lord. Um, contrast this with, with Peter. This is what came to my mind. You remember when Jesus, Jesus fills the boat with fish to the point where it's almost, almost going under. And, and Simon Peter cries out, he says, uh, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Right? Recognizing the power and holiness of Jesus, he says, go away. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Like, like we need distance between us because of my unholiness. Saul's like, you know, Samuel's told him the kingdom's been torn from you. And he's like, yeah, let's go worship the Lord. He's just so casual about the way that he approaches God. So casual. Peter, not so. You can think of other examples of this too. You think of Isaiah, right? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, just as Saul wished to sacrifice without obedience, now he wants to worship without a proper apprehension of the holiness of God. And those things go hand in hand. Um, he should have been saying, woe is me. Uh, fourth, fourth, the, the, other, the other thing that stands out to me and reasons why Saul's repentance is counterfeit is that repentance leads to holy action. Repentance leads to change. Repentance leads to holy action. But we do not see this with Saul. Right? What, what's the rest of Saul? What's the rest of Saul in the, in the book of First, First Samuel? Is there anything good? Right? There's not much. Um, repentance leads to holy action. And we see this in regard to Agag. We see later in the rest of the book this in regard to David. Um. He afflicts David, right? There is not good fruit from this this time forward with Saul. The command of the Lord was to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and repentance would have led to obedience. Instead, who does the action? Samuel does the action, right? Saul's repentance would have led to him hacking Agag to pieces. That's a really good metaphor. If we want to make a metaphor of that. Saul hewing Agag to pieces would have been repentance. Unfortunately, when someone doesn't repent, dirty work is left to others to do. You think it pleased Samuel that he had to hack a man to death? You think it pleased him that he had to to fulfill the commands of God? Perhaps in, in simply... Him being a God-fearing man, it pleased him. But in another sense, he just spent the whole night grieving over Saul. And now he's left to clean up this mess. And he he has to shed a man's blood by the command of God. It's not sin. It's righteousness. And so, 
So, well, another Thomas Watson quote to bring this around. Dying to sin is the life of repentance. The very day a Christian turns from sin, he must enjoin himself a perpetual fast. The eye must fast from impure glances. The ear must fast from hearing slanders. The tongue must fast from rash oaths. The hands must fast from bribes. The feet must fast from the path of the harlot. And the soul must fast from love of wickedness. This turning from sin implies a notable change. A notable change, right? A difference, a different action. Saul's repentance would have been seen in him hewing Agag to pieces. Um, it, was, it was now time for Saul to, to fast from serving himself, setting up monuments to himself, blaming and excusing the people. It was now time for him to fast from that. If he had repented, that's what it would have meant. And slaying Agag would have, would have been... Uh, the point. Another point from Samuel's slaying of Agag. Your, our, everybody's disobedience puts burdens on others. Our disobedience and our sin puts burdens on others. Um, someone will have to carry your weight, do your cleaning up, um, and this should not be. Um, repentance begins the process of carrying your own burden, right? Rather than constantly laying burdens on other people around you, repentance is the beginning of carrying your own burden and carrying it before God in faith and with strength that he supplies through the Spirit, okay? And so um, and so if there are areas, you know... Now, praise God that God gives strength to others so that they can bear burdens, right? That is part of the church. That is part of being mature. That is why he gives us pastors and elders and and deacons and leaders. It's why he gives us fathers. It's why he gives us mothers. It's why he gives us more mature in the faith. There is a sense in which burdens can be placed. But shame on us for placing those burdens on others by our sins, by our rejection of the word of God. Shame on us. It should not be. Repent and carry your own burdens. Something about that in Galatians chapter 6. The strong are there to bear the burdens of the weak. But then it says, carry, every man will have to carry his own load. Right? That's what this is about. Okay, Stop placing burdens on others. Samuel would have been doubly grieved that day to have to clean up after Saul's sin and to lose Saul. And so a summary of Saul's action um, or inaction or lack of repentance or counterfeit repentance, he makes excuses. And just think about this, okay? We all have to repent, right? Children, there are things you have to repent over, right? You look back over a day and you're like, okay, God have mercy on me. But here's what repentance is not. Making excuses for your sin, having no shame that you sinned, treating the holiness of God lightly, 
just not giving a thought to his holiness and taking no action to make things right. That's counterfeit repentance, right? That's inaction. That is impotence. That is like not moving forward. It is moving backwards. You blame, you're shameless, you're fearless, you're impotent. I mean, that's those four things here. So, so think through that. Another point, Samuel does not buy what Saul is saying. Verse 26, I will not return with you. Verse 28, another who is better will be king. Verse 29, God will not change. Verse 33, he's talking about justice, right? He, he's rejecting what Saul, what Saul is bringing to him now. He's like, no, 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 no. Um, and the contrast there is what I'll leave you with. The contrast there is between Samuel, who has in mind the glory of God, and Saul, who has in mind his own glory. Right? Saul cares for his own glory. Samuel cares for the glory of God. And therein lies the difference between those two men. Right? Therein lies the difference between any man, woman, child in this life. Right? There are people who live for their own glory. There are people who live for the glory of God. Are you one who lives for the glory of God? Well, that's going to look very different than living for your own glory, isn't it? It's going to look very different. And so Samuel puts forward a man, puts forward this example of a man who has faith in God, a man who will go to the extreme of hacking, hacking Agag apart to the glory of God. And Saul is rejecting this prophet coming to him and speaking the very words of God and then setting up shrines to himself. It's despicable, right? So think through whether or not you, children, are one who lives for the glory of yourself or lives for the glory of God. Do you want trophies on your shelf or do you want treasures in heaven? Right? Which is more important to you? Think about that. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, we thank you that you are merciful to us and that your spirit is at work in your children sanctifying us. Lord, I pray that we would be quick to repent as King David was. Lord, I I pray that we would be uh, those who have always on our mind your glory and not our own glory, that we would not live our lives according to our own pride, but that we would, we would live to, do all, to give you all praise. And so, Lord, continue to grant us repentance. Continue to conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.